Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining us on the Paranormal Factor podcast. In this episode, we're going to cover one of the earliest encounters with a purported alien UFO crash. There was wreckage scattered everywhere, and there were also bodies, three gray-skinned creatures that didn't look like humans with large heads and huge black eyes. A full six years before the Roswell incident, there may well have been an actual UFO crash with alien occupants. But before we dive into the story, here's a quick reminder to check out the Paranormal Factor Podcast Facebook page. Every day, Monday through Friday, there's new paranormal and supernatural material for you to explore. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. And if you have the Alexa app, you can easily listen to our episodes by simply saying, Alexa, play the Paranormal Factor podcast. Now, on to our episode. You all know the story of a rancher in Roswell, New Mexico, who was said to have found a crash site within his land that held the remains of an extraterrestrial flying saucer and its occupants. This incident is infamously known as humans' first encounter with aliens. However, that may not be the case. Six years before the supposed Roswell UFO incident, a Baptist minister was called by a sheriff one night and taken to the scene of an accident so he could pray over the victims. Sometime in spring of 1941, no one is sure of the exact date, Reverend William Huffman of the Red Star Baptist Church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, was asked by local police to pray over victims from a crash site just outside of town. It was 9.30 p.m., and the site was a 10 to 15 mile trip from town. Once he got there, the place was surrounded by police, fire department personnel, photographers, FBI agents, and others. And the military, well, they were on their way as well. The Reverend was led through the scene of what appeared to be a horrific crash of some kind, and as he walked, he noticed the crash site had lots of debris, as if the craft had actually exploded. Pieces were strewn everywhere. In one corner of the wreckage area was a larger piece he described as being disc-shaped, with no visible seams. It was shiny and metallic, and there were strange bodies among the wreckage. And so began the strange tale of an alleged UFO crash and the discovery of alien bodies. What happened? And how did the story come out years later? Well, let's find out. One of the most mysterious stories of a crashed UFO with alien bodies preceded the well-known Roswell event by some six years. This case was first brought to investigators by Leo Stringfield in his book, UFO Crash Retrievals, The Inner Sanctum. 
he uncovered a tantalizing account of a military-controlled UFO crash retrieval, which is still being researched today. The details of the case were sent to him in a letter from one Charlotte Mann, who related her minister grandfather's deathbed confession of being summoned to pray over alien crash victims outside of Cape Girardeau, Missouri, in the spring of 1941. More on Charlotte in a bit. So, what happened that night? According to Michael Huntington, local travel writer and UFO researcher, Huffman found himself praying over three extraterrestrial beings after their flying saucers struck ground in a rural Cape Girardeau field. The story of the UFO crash in Cape Girardeau has been long researched since the 1980s when Charlotte Mann, a former Cape Girardeau resident, told the story about what her grandfather experienced 40 years prior. According to Huntington, Huffman was taken to a field where a group of firemen, police officers, and eventually the military were. The military would take over the scene shortly. Charlotte remembered her grandfather's description of that night. Uh, upon arrival, it was a very different situation. It was not a conventional aircraft as we know it. He described it as a saucer that was metallic in color, no seams, and it did not look like anything he had ever seen. It had just been broken open in one portion, and so he could walk up and see that, Charlotte Mann said in a TV documentary about the crash. Charlotte's grandfather took a closer look at the spaceship. What he was most impressed with was in the inside, there were writings, but he didn't recognize them. He said it looked similar to hieroglyphics, Egyptian hieroglyphics, explained Charlotte. The crash did not feature just the UFO, though. There were also some bodies, three gray alien-type beings, about four to five feet tall, big heads, and big black eyes. According to the story, the three alien bodies lay on the ground next to the spaceship, two already dead. However, a granddad said the third one, when he got to him, he was breathing very shallow, and so he did pray with him. He did expire as he was on his knees praying for him. He then went to the other two and prayed over them. Charlotte said. The Reverend recalled that the Army Air Corps showed up from nearby Sykeston Field to seal the area. When Huffman was finished, he was sworn to secrecy by the military personnel who had taken over the area. According to UFO casebook files, with the United States on the verge of entering World War II, everyone on the site was sworn to secrecy due to concern for national security. Not only were eyewitnesses sworn to secrecy, but some research suggests the military also removed all evidence it ever happened, including those alien bodies. Sitting in her Tyler, Texas home, Charlotte Mann told reporters more about her experience, which she called the family secret. I was not a big UFO person. I didn't know much about it other than my own experience. But she would discover many details on her grandparents' deathbeds, Charlotte would play a big role in getting the story out about the Cape Girardeau crash. In 1991, the late Leonard Stringfield, an early UFO investigator and former civilian consultant to UFO operations at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio in the 1950s, published an account of an alleged 1941 UFO crash near Cape Girardeau. Springfield's article appeared in the July 1991 issue of his Status Report, a monthly publication on UFO activities and investigations. 
The article was based on information received from Charlotte Mann, who was a young child living in Cape Girardeau in 1941. At the time of the event, Charlotte's grandfather was Reverend William Huffman, the Red Star Baptist Church pastor we highlighted earlier. Charlotte Mann, as William Huffman's granddaughter, knew of the incident as it was handed down through the family. Charlotte told Springfield her grandfather described the crashed vehicle as a disc-shaped object, the interior of which contained a small metal chair, gauges, dials, and those hieroglyphic-like inscriptions and writings on the inside. He also saw three beings, or non-human people as he put it, lying on the ground. Two were just outside the craft, with a third somewhat farther away. He described the bodies as hairless, with large heads, big eyes, small mouths, and very small ears. It was hard for him to tell if they had suits on or if it was their skin, but they were covered from head to foot in what looked like wrinkled aluminum foil. The Reverend Huffman said the dead individuals were about four feet tall and seemed to have no hard bone structure, but very long arms and fingers. Shortly after viewing the dead bodies, Reverend Huffman was escorted by military officials to a nearby location where he was sworn to secrecy and strongly warned to never discuss the crash with anyone. Huffman did not know what was told to others at the scene, but he was told, this didn't happen. You didn't see this. This is national security and is to never be talked about again. After Huffman got home that night, he just couldn't grasp what he had experienced. Despite being sworn to secrecy, according to Charlotte Mann, when he got home, he described his experience to his wife, Floyd Huffman, and two sons, one of whom was Charlotte's father, but swore them all to secrecy. The shock on his face told what his words at first did not. Then again, gaining their promise, he shared with his family what had happened. Granddad was a quiet man to begin with, but grandmother said the look on his face was different, said Charlotte. After that, Reverend Huffman took his story to the grave. Floyd, however, told Charlotte everything she needed to know about the crash while on her deathbed. Like all crash stories like this, the military came and took everything away. They hushed everybody to secrecy and took the materials away to who knows where, said Investigator Huntington. The one thing the military did not get its hands on was a photograph supposedly taken by Southeast Missourian photographer at the time, Garland D. Fraunabarger. Fraunabarger, it was said, made two copies of the photo, one for himself, one for Huffman. A few weeks after the UFO crash, Reverend Huffman was given the picture by Fraunabarger. Charlotte said, He felt like someone else besides himself should have a copy, and Granddad was the only one he trusted, so he gave him a copy of the picture. So I had seen that picture growing up. You couldn't see those big eyes and not be affected. It wasn't anything I had ever seen. In addition to the accounts of the UFO crash passed on to her by her grandmother, Charlotte recalled one of the first situations in which she heard about the photograph. Well, the first awareness that I had of it is actually a picture that my father had, and it was at a dinner party. And I had heard rumors and bits and pieces over conversations, but... It was a picture, an old picture, because it had, it, it was like the old Kodaks. There were two plainclothes policemen holding up a non-human, is the best way I can describe it. A little entity, a little person who appeared to be about four feet tall. They had him underneath the armpits with arms outstretched on either side of him. The picture was taken and 
That was the picture I later saw. After her grandfather died, Charlotte said her dad kept the picture. A close friend of her dad's asked if he could borrow it to show his parents, so he let him have it. But he never got it back. The whereabouts of the photograph is currently unknown. However, there have been several versions made of it as well as drawings by man who said she saw the photograph firsthand before it went missing. Charlotte believes the UFO story is true, but she also knows many won't believe the story without more corroborating documents and evidence. Investigator Huntington has noted there is not much of a paper trail to prove whether or not a UFO actually crashed in a Cape Girardeau field in 1941, and the story is told secondhand. Meanwhile, skeptics point out the disappearance of the photo is, well, convenient. And that's not the only issue they have with this case. Information about any crash in the Cape Girardeau area in 1941 was requested from both the U.S. Air Force and FBI by UFO investigators. But not surprisingly, neither agency has any record of any such event. Phil Class of Skeptics UFO Newsletter has noted that investigators reporting finding alleged authentic government documents have established no verification that the documents are genuine. Class reports in at least one instance a document source was given a polygraph regarding the authenticity of the supplied records. He failed it, casting doubt on the veracity of the material. One investigator, James Westwood, found a report of a student pilot's airplane crash in the area in May 1941. And a local pilot told him about another crash also in the area that happened in spring of 1941. Both are possible real events that might have given rise to the crashed UFO allegation. Another problem? The Cape Girardeau City Directory lists the Huffmans from 1942 to 1944, but they aren't listed in the 1945 directory, nor are they listed in 1941 when the alleged crash occurred. Records from the Southeast Missourian say Huffman became pastor of his church in September of 1941. It's an inconsistency. That's months after the alleged incident when he supposedly was already the church's pastor. When you stack this case up against the Roswell incident, there are a few key differences. To begin with, we know something crashed at Roswell. Even the military admitted as much. What has always been in question is what crashed. And we know that wreckage was found by a rancher and was subsequently handed over to the military who had taken over control of the scene. Some of those same military personnel would later stand by the story of a crashed UFO and alien bodies. There's also a big difference in the number of alleged eyewitnesses and their surviving family members providing circumstantial hearsay. That hearsay is regarding comments that an alien crash actually did occur. Several people came forward at the time and dozens of family members have come forward since with their stories. But in the case of the Cape Girardeau alleged crash, we have no wreckage. We have no military or law enforcement who said they were there at the time, no one providing statements of an alien crash. And we have just one witness who confided in his family members what he saw that night. Just one. No one else has ever come forward. And if Charlotte Mann had not told his story, well, the whole thing probably wouldn't exist. For me, those things add up to a doubtful narrative, though certainly not impossible. 
But UFO believers? Well, they insist in supporting an incident actually happened. UFO journalist B.J. Booth says of the Cape Girardeau story, This case ends like many others, but appears by all indications to be authentic. All who have come in contact with Charlotte Mann have found her to be a trustworthy person who's not given to sensationalism, and she's not sought any gain from her account. Based on his own analysis of the Cape Girardeau event, noted ufologist Ryan Wood believes it did happen. One can reasonably conclude there was a crash event. The implications of this case, if fully proven, are part of the larger picture. Namely, extraterrestrial visitors are real, and certain factions of the government have been hiding this fact since at least 1941. After working on this case for about two years and talking with Charlotte Mann on numerous occasions, either briefly on the phone, over dinner, or in front of a television camera, her story, demeanor, and integrity provided no hints of deception or confabulation. Wood notes, the final resolution to the case is still out there. It may come in the form of physical evidence, bits of wreckage, new witnesses, historical air photography, soil samples, or archival research. All these fronts are being actively worked, and there's reason to predict success. Wood has searched several potential crash site areas for small pieces of wreckage. To date, he has done so without success. Well, in our next episode, we're going to introduce you to a very compelling ghost story. And it doesn't take place on a deserted road, in a cemetery, or an old building. No, this ghost story takes place at 35,000 feet. It is the compelling case of a ghostly pilot and his engineer being seen by passengers and crews on numerous commercial jetliners. Eastern Airlines Flight 401 crashed into the Florida Everglades in December of 1972. The aircraft was a Lockheed L10111 TriStar traveling from New York to Miami. It was the first fatal crash involving not only the Lockheed TriStar, but a wide-body aircraft of any kind. Horribly, the accident resulted in the deaths of 101 occupants, including Captain Robert Bob Loft and flight engineer Donald Don Repo. But how did these ghosts end up on other flights? And why did they keep appearing? Well, join us to find out next time, right here on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. That's right, it is quiz time, and here we go. What famously was said to have caused the Dexter UFO sightings? Was it A, owls, B, meteorites, C, swamp gas, or D, balloons? Once again, what famously was said to have caused the Dexter UFO sightings? Was it owls, meteorites, swamp gas, or balloons? The answer is C. Swamp gas. In March 1966, something mysterious was seen in the night sky over Dexter and Hillsdale, Michigan. Dexter residents described floating disks in the night sky. They were witnessed by citizens and law enforcement. Hillsdale College students reported strange lights flying over their dorms. Even Walter Cronkite, 
reported the story on the national news, and then-Congressman Gerald Ford would later call for an investigation. All believed something very unusual was happening. The objects were highly maneuverable, and many seeing them believed that they were extraterrestrial in nature. Dr. J. Allen Hynek, a U.S. Air Force consultant to Project Blue Book, sent to investigate the sightings, well, didn't see it that way. He determined that swamp gas, the methane released from marshy land, had caused the phenomenon. The many witnesses disputed the findings, and the stated cause immediately was ridiculed. It fueled suspicion of a government cover-up and a wider distrust among the public over whether UFOs were being seriously investigated. The term swamp gas would become synonymous with any official explanation by the government deemed a cover-up or downplaying of facts. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>